Hello and welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Our guests today are working hard to keep people ticking in New Haven, even when they've lost a limb. Many of us take it for granted that we can walk on two legs, but a lot of people can't. And there's a move afoot at the state legislature to make sure that insurance companies don't stop them from getting the help they need. We're going to hear about that and more today from the co-founders of the Connecticut Amputee Network, CAN, Herb Kolodny and Brendan Novak. And a special thanks to Yale Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Welcome, Herb, and welcome, Brenda. It's very nice to see you. Thanks for having us. And it was, uh, I know Herb, and it was very nice to meet Brenda this morning. You've both been around here for years. So tell me about the Connecticut Amputee Network. You guys are going to be in the news. As we saw, State Senator Kenny was coming out here. He was all familiar that you're going to be up there at the Capitol this year. you got some important matters to talk about. But I didn't even know until a week ago that there was such a thing as a Connecticut Amputee Network. What is that, and why are you guys around? Well, we've only been around for a few months. Oh, it's a new group. Yeah, so that's probably why you haven't heard of us yet. Okay. Um, Herb and I met just uh, last year, and Herb had told me he was already doing research on this issue of insurance fairness for amputees, and I told him I was interested in helping. So we joined forces, and we've been working to get this issue in front of the legislators. And I, I just from a little cursory research I did, I saw that you're part of a national network that efforts are taking place throughout the country, right, Herb? Yes. Um, the Amputee Coalition um, is a national organization, and they are actually the people who run the National Limb Loss Resource Center, uh, which is mostly donor-supported, but they do get some government funding. Uh, so we work closely with them. Uh, they are very much a helpline for us. So Brenda and Herb, you founded this group. Do, do a lot of people belong so far? Do you have like supporters, people who have lost limbs themselves? Tell me about how the group got started and what, what stage you're at. Our starting point really was the six amputee support groups that exist in the state. For example, the largest one right now is Gaylord Hospital, where they sponsor once a month meetings for people who have limb loss. And um, they usually have... Uh, Gaylord's an amazing place. I was there recently. I just love how sunny it is and how nuts and bolts it is getting people just ready to think more positive what they could do with their lives. When they've been at a point when they think they're not going to be able to do much, you know. Exactly. Exactly. It's to give them uh, confidence that, in fact, they can get better because many question the fact that they will be ever <clears> able <throat> to do whatever they do. And they do more than amputees, of course. Uh, they have stroke victims. Um, they have head trauma, uh, I know. head trauma a great mm-hmm. deal. Um, and they have uh, these exoskeletons for people who've had spinal cord injuries. So you, had, yeah, so you had potential members before. As you were getting started, because there already existed six support groups in the six, state. Yes, like New London. We talked about Gaylord. Um, each group meets about once a month. There's a group in Hartford, another in Milford, that's actually associated with Yale New Haven Hospital, and one, far one, down in Stanford. And one in Bristol. And so how many people in Connecticut, and when you're talking limbs, we're talking about arms or legs, or just yes. for the purposes of Upper this? and lower limbs. So how many people in Connecticut, roughly, if you had a guess? About 20,000. 20,000 people. And most of them we'll never see because um, they, it's often that they'll get depressed uh, enough that they'll become shut-ins. 
And, and is this long term, Herb, or do people reach a point where they say, I guess everyone's different because everyone's psychology, but do people sometimes reach a point where they say, okay, I've hit bottom. I'm going to. Some do and some don't. Mm-hmm. The ones that we see that attend the support group meetings are already on their healing journey. Um, they've come out of the shadows. Um, they look around to see is there actually answers for themselves. And they meet with other amputees and learn from, we learn from each other very much so. Mm-hmm. So that's where we began. Um, so the two of us, we regularly um, attend these support group meetings and we asked for email addresses from them. And that's really where we began. Um, and we're hopefully branching out from there, trying to find those people. And maybe our radio sh- station will be able to pierce some of those shadows and to get into their homes so they can hear. Indeed, there are many of us who are mobile and independent, and um, we have a life, uh, regardless of our disability. Yeah, and also I'd like to point out, too, that some of the some amputees are invisible to other people because they are active and able. So sometimes someone will have an, will be an amputee, but you can't tell in their daily life. So, um, and am I right that, as with other situations people have, a lot of times a lot is in the person's head rather than other people's heads? That if someone might be embarrassed that he or she is walking around with a prosthetic leg and that nobody else would care, but that you're, you're thinking there's a big spotlight on you or someone's seeing you as less and that is a big part of the journey accepting yourself and realizing that's not the central part of who you are as a person. Yes, and that would be me. That would be you. Tell me about I, that, I tend to assume that that's the first thing that anyone notices about me. And and even if they do, it's not like they then think, oh, Brenda, she's less than something else, right? No. They might it, notice you have glasses too, right? Right. <laughs> Another prosthetic device. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, you know, what color your hair is and what, what scarf you're wearing, right? Right. So I'm just starting to learn that it's not necessarily the first thing they notice about me. Um, but I never, even if it was the first thing, I'd didn't think they thought less of me. I just thought that I would be defined by it in some way. Well, is it true sometimes that people have to learn, they have to spend some time with you and realize that they don't have to feel sorry for you or that, that, you know, this is not the main thing about you. Yeah. They could just have the same kind of political discussion they're going to have or argue with you about the mortgage or something, you know, and it doesn't have to do with whether, what your, where your leg is. It starts with, um, a polite conversation. And I've had many people stop suddenly and say, my gosh, you're just like everybody else. <laughs> and realize that when... That's, the, a, that's such a bizarre thing to say. You know, when, it's when like saying, knife, well, you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. You're just like everybody else. Yeah. Well, right. When, when the knife came down and, and I lost my leg and the surgeon um, was uh, proud of his work as far as my stump, he did miss the gray matter. And many people <laughs> do forget that. Um, so it's both... I mean, for, in, to, for us to be fully integrated into our community... It's the, in, in our case, amputees that need to get um, a head check. But it's also the other people to realize sure. we're really not much different. Did you, by gray matter, assume you met your brain? Yes. Right. But that made me wonder, when we think about who we are, is who we are our brain? Is it our soul? Or is this the combination, you know? Is this, I, I imagine that when you're dealing with an issue like amputation, as with just every other kind of issue we deal with in our lives, it, it, it ultimately comes down to that question, right? Who are we as human beings? Right. Oh, now you got us quiet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I'm going to remind people that we're not being quiet. We're talking about 
limb loss and an effort at the state capitol by a new group in our area called the Connecticut Amputee Network to get insurance parity for people who have lost limbs. And we're talking to Herb Kalani and Brenda Novak, who started the local chapter. They're making the rounds of the state, the support groups throughout the state, getting an email list, meeting with legislators. We saw one on the way out of the studio today who was already familiar with your issue and obviously very interested in it, Ted Kennedy Jr. And so tell me now at the Capitol, what are you gearing up to do? What is the bill that you want to have introduced and whom do you have lined up to do that? The name of the bill will be uh, known as uh, Insurance Parity for Prosthetics. And we say parity rather than fairness because the idea is that there are other prosthetic devices that we generally don't think about. But have you went to a doctor and said, well, we're going to have to replace at least part or your whole knee mm-hmm. or maybe two knees or a hip or a shoulder or a heart pacer. Those are all prosthetics. And it's pretty routine. It's a 24 to 48 hour process where a doctor's office will call up for a prior authorization and he'll usually get it within a couple of days to go forward with that surgery. And that's fairly expensive surgery. It's somewhere around $30,000 if you're going to have a knee job. When it comes to prosthetics for missing limbs, somehow insurance companies have taken a different... Um, so they say, it. obviously, it's fine, you need a knee, but if you need a whole leg, that's a different question? They, too many times, they'll approve the surgery, the amputation, uh, but then claim that the prosthetic device itself is not medically necessary. Meaning that you could just walk around on crutches, is that the thought? Or, or remain wheelchair-bound. Oh. So, and this is where a lot of people get depressed, and you never oh. see them again. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's how about, um, many things that can occur to a person who's been denied coverage by their private insurance company, um, and that's one of them. Um, so you've lost an income. Um, many, I would say most households, there are two incomes. So the person who's had the, the uh, amputation, he's lost uh, an income. He or she has lost an income for a while. And then the primary caregiver, who also has a full-time job, now that impacts them. And uh, why is it important? I mean, I think I know the answer, but so you can answer. Why is it important that a person have an opportunity not to spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair, but be able to move around on a prosthetic leg. Why is a prosthetic leg medically necessary? Okay, we we talk about three arguments to the legislators, um, and we've done a lot of that talking already. Uh, And the first one is a business case. It pays back. It's a wonderful investment. Uh, Medically, it'll cost the insurance company more money to not take care of that person because complications follow somebody who is very, um, how would I call it, uh, immobile and in a wheelchair. Um, there are depression issues. Um, I can imagine your whole body's less healthy if you're not moving. Yes. I mean, and, you move your arm in the wheelchair. I, I, right? I also want to point out, too, there are plenty of people who are confined to wheelchairs full-time that are very active and they're very able. But the there are fewer, far fewer accommodations for people in wheelchairs. So if you get around New Haven... In a wheelchair, you know there are certain places you can't go. Oh, wheelchair, it's a mess. We have a woman, it's Michelle Dupree, who goes around and shows us how like the curb cuts aren't in good shape yeah. or there aren't even curb cuts half the time. They don't yeah. clear them yet. And I was, after my amputation, I was primarily on crutches for about three years. And I I could still go up and down stairs on crutches, but I certainly noticed where there were stairs and noticed that someone in a wheelchair couldn't get up and down. Um, but to your point, if you're 
an amputee in a wheelchair, you're less active and you're going to have complications following that. You're more likely to fall into depression. You're more likely to be overweight and obese. Health complications from that. The heart. Heart, cardiovascular system. And... So do health tiers care? They'll just say, well, we just want to insure you at that point. <laughs> I guess they can yeah. under Obamacare. But we do, I want to point out, too, that it's not just anecdotal. It's not just because, of course, everyone knows that you'll be less healthy. There's studies showing that the cost of medical care without a prosthesis is more, is more than the cost of the prosthesis. So why do the insurance companies not want to cover it then? Because they're short-sighted. Short-sighted. They're not thinking long-term. Yes. And, and is that because been... they're public companies where their demands on them from shareholders or just I to think can... about the next quarter? I can't tell you why they do that. But that's a classic um, reason why we regulate the insurance company. That's the role of the legislature to make sure that there are good decisions made in the public interest and even the business interest that yes. go beyond the quarter. And I think there have been so many technological innovations with prosthetics so recently, largely because of the number of, of veterans coming back uh, with amputations. But that has made prosthetics much more expensive, but also much more useful. So Better investment. Yes, I can walk much, more naturally. Much, I can do more, better, faster. You don't. You easier. don't walk with crutches, do you? No, not Maybe anymore. You can walk just on your prosthetic leg. Yes. And I forget, Herb. How about you? I do carry a cane when I'm in the house. I don't use it, uh-huh. but in weather like this, like we have today, yeah, you betcha. How much does a prosthetic cost? Well, the ones Depends. that we have are in the mid thirties. Mid thirty thousand. That's not much different from a knee replacement. A new. Oh, what kind of you re- said a, a knee, knee replacement? replacement. Was yeah, 30. Well, so it's a little bit more. But what's kind of interesting is the studies show that the co- medical costs over a twelve-month period of time are only about one percent different for somebody who gets a leg and somebody who doesn't. Well, these are complicated. Aren't these more complicated, like in terms of the angles and and, and the well, we're um, because we're above knee amputees. Both of us are. So we've lost um, uh, two joints: our ankle as well as our knee. Somebody who's below the knee, it's just their ankle. And sometimes we tease them that they're really not, you know, so disabled. That's so funny, like a pecking order within, <laughs> within the limb loss community, right? Even better, we, we beat up on uh, what we call uh, four-limb freaks. <laughs> <laughs> so what make reasons? So we're talking about reasons that insurance should get parity and they should cover. Now, first of all, do any insurance companies cover prosthetics? Yes. We don't want to paint the entire industry black because that's not true. However, there are bad players um, that will do try to- most or not. Do most insurance policies cover it, it? It depends, and laws are different state by state and policy by policy. So when I first lost my leg, I had a private policy. This was before Obamacare, and I had very good coverage and paid very little out of pocket for anything for the entire trauma. Um, after that, I was on Medicare for a little while, and now I'm on. Uh, private insurance through Obamacare. And the last, this leg that I'm using now, when I got that, it was more than $30,000. It was, I think it was more like 60. So Herb has Medicare, so he get, he knows how much it costs through them, but for private insurance. And I had to pay $20,000 out of wow. pocket wow. for this leg. That's a lot. Yeah. So um, any other main reasons you want to make sure you hit, you guys, you said, so one reason was the cost the cost, and we, we can demonstrate um, economic value. That's what I would call that. That's the mm-hmm. term. The second case is the civil rights case. Why is it that they're picking on people that um, have disabilities? Mm-hmm. And um, there have been many laws passed. Uh, firstly, it was the civil rights bill itself that 
uh, protected you against um, uh, discrimination for race, religion, gender, and national origin. And from 1970s and 80s um, until 1990, uh, laws were adding to add disabilities as one of those protected uh, 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 categories. So um, it's a civil rights matter. And what I think the uh, some players in the insurance industry do is uh, they see a loophole because yes, you can talk about jobs, you can talk about housing, um, and you can talk about other matters. But insurance is not covered by any of these mm. disability laws. Twenty other states have insurance parity laws today, mm. so this is not a new thing. We would very much like to see before the end of this year Connecticut to be number twenty-one. Now, this is not a. Um this is not a year in the state legislature deals with non-financial issues. So how are you going to get this raise tacked onto another bill? No, we are trying to avoid that. We want this to be a clean bill. And the process as it explains to us is the specific committee themselves. It has to emerge from the committee and the oh, committee I see. chairs. The legislator can't introduce it. Correct. Right? So individuals. So uh, which committee are you going to aim for? It is the insurance and real estate committee. Um, they know, uh, and what are you hearing? What are people telling you there? The first was surprised that it wasn't already a law. They had no idea Mm. that insurance parity was not because all five other new England states, it is, um, law. And again, and, um, it's, it's interesting that if you look across the country, uh, notable states like Texas, Indiana, Iowa, Colorado, Utah, and so on. Um, it's not like an East Coast, West Coast. And it's not, a, it's not a red state, East state. So far, our neighboring it's states. It's nonpartisan. Our neighboring states have legal marijuana, so are we going to do that? They have highway tolls. We don't. They have insurance parity. I wonder if this is the year that uh, Connecticut's going to join New England. That would be great. And so far, we do have bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. We have the bipartisan support, and again, we have the shock and surprise that it isn't already a law, so there's a feeling that this it's, it's catch-up time. So we, we have the reason, one reason is just the cost and it pays back for itself. The second reason you're arguing for insurance parity is civil rights. What is reason number three? Common sense. Mm-hmm. To be able to declare um, an artificial limb as not medically necessary makes no sense. That somehow an, a missing limb is not an essential health benefit any more than it is to have a weak heart or to have, um, uh, uh, again, tying it to other prosthetic devices, knees, hips, or shoulder joints. Mm-hmm. Why do those get the priority, even though they're just as expensive to deal with, as it would be for an external device? All right. Yeah. Basically, uh, we say that arms and legs are not luxuries. Mm. That's a good line. Um, Did you come up with that? No. No. Who, who, who came up with that <laughs> Is that one? the MPT Coalition of America? I think yes. that's their line. Well, yeah. we came up with reminding people that they're listening to Dateline New Haven on WNHH, 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're talking today with some really interesting people, Herb Kalodny and uh, Brenda Novak. They've started the Connecticut Amputee Network, speaking on behalf of 20,000 people in Connecticut who have lost limbs, and they're, they're making a move on Hartford. They want to get legislators to have us join the rest of New England, 20 states in the country, to have insurance parity, if you want to get a prosthetic, you want to get a, a, a new leg or an arm when you've lost one, have insurance companies covered. So, Herb, I was reading a little bit about your um, 
your journey. And it wasn't in one day. So as I understand it, you had cancer. You were diagnosed in 2006. You had two, two operations. You were self-employed computer tech. And that gra- amputation was not something you immediately knew was going to happen, right? This happened over time? Yes. Um, the doctors back in 2006, the, uh, the procedure was surgery to remove the, uh, the cancer, the tumor, in my leg, which was above the knee. It was in my thigh. Uh, and then radiation for about six or seven weeks. They follow you for five years, and actually, I went five years without reoccurrence, so they said, well, it was nice knowing you, goodbye. Um, It came back in year six. And actually, I expected the leg to go. That would have been 2012 then. Um, But this was a different team of doctors, and they, um, how would I call it, maybe a little bit of hubris, but they said, we can fix this. I love that when doctors get the challenge, it gets a little macho, right? You know, can, well, perhaps. They, they were very confident that they could fix it, uh, but they were wrong. So for me, it meant nine or ten months of misery through infections, through plastic surgery attempts, uh, the um, wound wouldn't heal, all this kind of good stuff. So when the, How about the cancer? Did they get It came cancer? back in 2013 again. Wow, you got cancer, came back to your So eyes. it reoccurred quickly, and... Um, then it was no question. Finally, um, the doctors don't um, let go of a limb loss like this easily. Were you angry that they were wrong, or were you able to say they're doing their best? And I was just too much focused on let's get going. I have to. Yeah. Get, I have a life. You to have live. a life to move on with. Yeah. Okay. Many times it does happen that there is depression. Um, and that um, people are focused on that and woe is me and, and feeling sorry, which is very normal. I mean, this is one of the phases we go through when we go through a crisis. Um, for some reason, um, I just wanted to get on with it, which meant cut this darn leg off and give me something better. And so I was ready. And so what happened? You had a 2013? 2013, uh, the, the surgery, um, and I had something called a temporary leg called an IPOP. We won't get into too much detail, but it meant that the day after surgery, I was able to stand oh. with an artificial limb, and day three with well, a walker, I was able to walk down the hall. And what kind of adjustment is that? Does it hurt? Do you have to do your that other leg? That is the number one just... question. Does it hurt? It didn't. It didn't hurt from the, from the point of view of the prosthetic device itself, I was pretty well doped up and they had nerve blockers and all kinds of other stuff because had they not, I probably would have been seriously hurting from the surgery. Mm. Yeah. So, so yes, it was painful. He just couldn't feel it. So what about the walking <laughs> to, do you have to adjust how you use your other leg, how your body shifts? That's what we Yes. I, it, I think it's important to, when you're learning to walk, you're trying not to change the way you, you use your sound leg because that's just going to mess up your alignment. So you're learning mess to walk up, again, Brenda. You're learning to walk again, yes. What's that like? Uh, very, very emotional. Uh, I was, I was not walking right away like Herb was. Um, and the first time I stood up in my prosthetist office and realized I was standing, I just burst into tears. It was. Um, it's just hard to explain that to go through that process of not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing how it's going to work. It's a lot of unknowns. Would you be comfortable telling us how you lost your leg? Sure. 
Yeah, you I've, said you I've were... told this story a lot, of, okay. many, many times. Uh, yes, I was working overseas. I was working in international development as a business advisor for an ecotourism project in Mali, in West mm. Africa. It was a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and we were developing the tourism industry there. Um, and it, should I assume, although it's always bad to assume, that since you were involved in ecotourism, you were someone who was a mobile person? Quite yes, mobile. Yeah. I was very active. Uh, before my injury, I was a uh, downhill skier, mountain biker, rock climbing. Wow. Running. Wow. I'd like to point out for the wow. record, Brenda is still very busy and active. <laughs> Herb and I met um, rock climbing at, yes. uh, oh my goodness. at a Gaylord uh, adaptive sports event. <laughs> 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 so uh, I try to be active. Herb, you already know, is incredibly active beca because of his advocacy work. You can tell he's always running around. So what year um, did this happen in Mali, Brenda? 2008. What was going December on? December 2008. Um, the, as part of the project I was working on, we had funded construction of a water tower, and that collapsed on me Ooh. and my colleague. Uh, my colleague, Christina Nardone, was killed in oh the accident. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. And I was knocked out and traumatically injured and medevaced. So I was medevaced to Paris to be stabilized, and then two weeks later flown to Yale New Haven. And then I was there. Well, we're lucky we got you, even though it wasn't the nicest uh, well, way to get you. We got you moving <laughs> in this area. I'm glad I'm here now. I'm very happy I'm how'd here. They do, how'd they do for you at Yale New Haven? They did a great job. I had a wonderful medical team. Um, the doctors there are still my heroes. Uh, <laughs> they're just amazing. So, I, so you lost your leg in the collapse? Yes, ultimate, ultimately. They, they tried to save it at first, but yes, it was. It had to be amputated. Ultimately, um, I ended up in ICU for three months at Yale, wow. and like I said, it was three years before I was walking again. But it was a little on again, off again. Just the nature of my residual limb made it very difficult to fit a prosthesis. So why it, is that? Uh, it's ninety nine percent grafted skin, so that takes a long time to heal. It's very delicate when it does heal. So I was constantly having skin issues. This is your other leg? No, my... Prosthetic. The amputated leg, yes. So because the way, what I have to wear, I wear a liner over my, that covers my skin, and then that fits into a hard shell with the leg attached to it. So that interface is delicate when it's using my skin to attach. Um, we tried a number of different things. There are a lot of different techniques or prostheses. Um, but and it took you three years to be able to walk. To walk full time. I was probably walking two hours one day, four hours one day, you know, or actually wearing the prosthesis, not necessarily walking for two hours. Um, it just took a long time until I was functional, fully functional again. And we talked at the outset of the show about how people relate to you. What was the adjustment for you guys? How did the people in your life react to this? And what did you have to do to deal with it in your relations with other human beings? Well, um, again, it's, it's a very individual thing. Uh, for myself, if you've noticed, um, I have uh, altered my uh, pants, so I'm always showing off my leg. So you could say I'm a show-off. Um, so I, I want people to see the fact that I have an artificial limb. I have no qualms about them seeing it. And frankly, because... Uh, children are at eye level and they see this leg. Uh, they are my best customers as far as approaching me <laughs> and asking me about my robot leg. Uh, adults, on the other <laughs> hand, try very hard to ignore it. Or, or they feel it would be impolite to 
come up to me and ask. Mm-hmm. But if I do notice that they have seen it, um, I will try to break the ice by saying to them, gee whiz, I think you noticed that I have a leg. Do you have any questions? Do you think people should say something about it when they see you? Yes, because if they can see us in the community, in society, uh, then they can accept the fact that these things do exist. And we're as much a member of society as What I mean is, what if somebody already assumes that, sees you, they're hanging out with Herb, they notice Herb has a, a, a prosthetic leg, should that person state it? I mean, is this something that should be discussed? Or what do you think, what do you think about that, Brendan? I, I think it depends. Uh, everyone's going to feel differently about it. For me personally, I also want to be an advocate and an educator. So I don't have a problem with people asking questions. I think it could be like anything else. You could say, do you mind if I ask you a question about your prosthesis? Or do you mind talking about it? Um, and that's probably how people have usually approached me. I've actually had two very positive, maybe more. <laughs> uh, when I was first living in Connecticut, a woman approached me in the supermarket parking lot because she had a friend in Africa who had was a double amputee, had wore prostheses that were very uncomfortable, and she wanted to ask me about the equipment, the mechanics of how it all worked. And I was very happy to talk to her about that. Um, so that was a very positive experience. She's since become a good friend. Um, so I don't mind it at all. I don't mind talking about it at all, but I think some people may be more sensitive. So as with anything else, you know, asking about hair color or anything else, you just might want to be sensitive about how you approach someone. When I was at Gaylord recently, I ran into a guy I used to know from worked at the Yale gym named Jim Barone. And he, he had, he'd always been this kind of the jokey guy. Everyone he loved to hang out with everybody at the gym and he'd always run around fixing everything. And I realized his diabetes, he lost both his legs. He said he was in complete funk. And then at the um, support group at Gaylord, he was the funny guy again. Mm-hmm. And they got a call from Adam Sandler looking for someone to be in a movie who had a play of a, of a grandpa who was uh, an older guy who was an amputee, wisecracking guy. And he beat hundreds of people in an audition. He's in the movie. That's wonderful. And he's got this whole new career. And he was like, he was so high. He, he was basically, he just cornered me as soon as I walked in the place, telling me about this amazing thing that happened in his life and how happy he was and his whole new career as a, in his 60s as a, uh, or maybe late 50s, you know, as an actor. He's going to be in more movies. And he is very funny. You know, That's terrific. Yeah, That's yeah. so funny. And I, I read just a couple of years ago about an actor who was an amputee who was playing an amputee on a TV show and how unusual that was, that oftentimes they'll just use an able-bodied actor and they'll do digital effects or they'll just hide it with a costume or something. And I think it's, it's another piece of civil rights, dis- mm-hmm. disability rights to allow disabled people to play disabled parts. Mm. So I just thought that was wonderful. And hearing your story too, it's really nice to hear that. And that's also a great example. I think um, when we were talking earlier about psychological help and the help that support groups can provide, that's another reason we want to encourage people to get in touch with us and join our group, not just for this legislative bit, but because coming to the support groups can be helpful. And once we get this legislation passed, the purpose of the group is going to move even more into advocacy and education and support. So the first order of business is is passing this law. Right. Then you're going to move to advocacy and education about the way people see people who have... Am- and, 
mostly what we've talked about mostly is being a clearinghouse for information. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, when I lost my leg, I was the first amputee I had ever met. And I didn't know who to ask anything. Where do I get information about this stuff? And you have to become your own advocate, your own researcher. Um, And we know that people fall into funks and depression can lead to a lot of other health problems. So we just want to encourage people to come to us. We're now, we have an online presence. It's another way of contacting us. You don't always have to be there in person at the support groups, but we might be able to connect you with help that you need. I got to believe that with people living longer combined with health and medical breakthroughs, it's not just limb loss. There can be people who have to deal with every kind of variation to it, physical adjustments as they live longer and, and, uh, and focusing how to deal with that. Imagine you're not going to be the only new network yeah. in town. No, we, we definitely <laughs> agree. Um, I, I just want to add as far as some of the, um, our mission, um, you know, it's mainly legislative advocacy today. Uh, we talk about education. We want to be a source of, of knowledge for the legislators going forward as far as how can they make the laws even stronger. Um, we want to be a source of information for the amputees. We want to be able to um, find and help um, um, new amputees, uh, those who are in the hospital, and we, so we have an education process to do for hospital staff, if they see somebody, if they know of a, a a patient that has lost a limb, um, they should reach out to them immediately and say, "Would you like to have a peer visit, some other amputee that can explain to you what to expect next?" Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to ramp up those activities, and we want to, through social media and other means, um, allow interaction between uh, fellow uh, amputees if they lost their limb because of a, a birth defect or if it was because of an, ap- uh, an amputation from accident or, or health situations, uh, we can make new friendships. We definitely, I would have to say, my life has made a turn and it is remarkably different than it was before mm. and it is very, very, uh, how would I call it, fulfilling. Um, and we, it would be great if we could have every amputee have that failing. Life's just getting started. Yes. Before we go, and thanks so much for uh, opening my mind to a lot of information I didn't know today. Anything you learned about life going through this process, losing a leg, getting a prosthetic, now getting involved in working with other people? I had to literally learn to slow down. I I got that impression hearing you talk about your life. I only walk at one speed now. Fast. (laughs) And it's... (laughs) (laughs) uh, but that's that is a metaphor for the rest of my life. Out of it, Herb, any any insights? Um, nothing that comes to mind faster than I'd rather not just sit here and look look well, blankly at the mic. I think Brenda had a had a good way on it. So, how do folks get involved with with the um, with the uh, Connecticut Amputee Network? Can they should find us on if they do Facebook? Um, they should find us uh, our. Uh, group name is Connecticut Amputee Network. Mm-hmm. There is a public posting area um, where we put out information and news, and then we have a discussion group which is private. Mm-hmm. The idea is that there may be times where people want to bring up a topic that is delicate for them. Sure. And um, we want to make sure that that's a closed group. So we have both. 
Great. Well, I wish you luck in getting the word out. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for hosting us. Thanks for, for making it a great episode at Dateline New Haven. A special thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Thanks to Herb Kalani and Brenda Novak, co-founders of the Connecticut Amputee Network. Check them out on Facebook. Check them out at the legislature. Uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from them. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. So book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Radio.